The title of tonight's message is The Long and Winding Road. Say The Long and Winding Road. Anybody know that song? Yeah, yeah, so the long, yeah. Okay, anyway, so, uh, so we're going to start with John chapter 4. John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 46. John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 46. If you're there, say I'm there. So I'll wait for the rest of you then. John chapter 4, verse 46. I'll try it again. If you're there, say I'm there. Woo, okay, here we go. So. As he, Jesus, traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please, Come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him, Go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday uh, afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever disappeared. Then the father realized That was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. And so we want to call this the long and winding road based on the fact that there was a trip this man had to take. First of all, Jesus is in Cana. This man is in Capernaum. He hears that Jesus is in Cana. What does he know of Jesus? Well, I don't know because Jesus had just begun coming out as uh, in his ministry. The first miracle he performed was the water into wine. So the place in Cana where he is is where people had experienced and seen that miracle. If they hadn't seen it, they'd heard about it. Capernaum is another city, and that city is about 20 miles away. Now, when we think of 20 miles, we think of perhaps going up to FGCU, which is actually not 20 miles, but it's close. And uh, uh, traveling to, to FGCU by car, not that big of a deal. Get an I-75, doesn't take you long. If you go 41, it'll take you a while. <laughs> I've taken the other side streaks, same thing. But, but when we get in our cars, it doesn't take that long to get places. Remember, we're talking about a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. This man hears that Jesus is in Cana of Galilee, a 20-mile journey. And so he decides, because apparently he's heard something about Jesus. Jesus' fame must have preceded him. Because this man believes if he can get to Jesus, just maybe this guy called Jesus can help him, can help heal his son. Now, the translation we just read says that this man was a government official. If he's a government official, he probably has a fairly, fairly good income. If he has a fairly good income, it's likely then that he could afford doctors. His child's sick. Bring the doctors in, apparently. The Bible doesn't say that, but if he was able to bring doctors in, apparently they couldn't provide any help. They probably just said, it's, you know, this is it. Get your goodbyes in. I can't do anything for him. But the man, again, he hears of Jesus. So we want to look at the man. Several things that the man does. It says he heard about Jesus, and so he goes, he travels to see Jesus. Uh, the Bible also tells us the man begged, 
begged Jesus. What does it take for someone to be so desperate that they begin this process of begging? What has to happen in our lives that we actually begin to cry out with a deep cry, you're the only answer to my problem? So again, this is a government official, and he's begging. Begging takes humility. You have to cast aside any pride that you have to actually beg. And so this man gets to that point where he's desperate. His son is dying. He's well aware of that. And so the Scripture tells us he begs Jesus. Then another uh, quality of this man is that he's persistent. We see in verse number uh, 49, it says, The man called Jesus Lord and pleaded with him. This is the second time he's pleading. Pleaded with him to heal his son. Now look at the context of when this second plea is issued. This follows Jesus' statement, Will you never believe in me unless you see miracles, signs, and wonders? There was, that was, that's not a condemnation. That's a rebuke. And Jesus' tone, I'm sure, wasn't how I imagine my own father's tone be sometimes when we would stick at our hands for money from my father. My father's, one of my father's favorite lines was, you kids nickel and dime me to death. Essentially telling us, uh, all you do is want, 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 want. All I am to you is a bank. And so Jesus is coming across as saying, hey, you know, you, you guys always want something from me, but when are you going to believe in me? as the Son of God. Now, what's brilliant or not brilliant, but what's amazing about the man's response to Jesus is he is undeterred by the rebuke. He didn't, he, the Scripture does not say the man said and had this response, yeah, yeah, you're right. All I want is, all I want is signs and miracles. You're right. I'm sorry. doesn't say that. It says that he, the official, pleaded once more. And we know that he's respecting Jesus because he calls him Lord. The word Lord is not just issued to everyone you see. This is a recognition of a position Jesus holds. And so he says, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Oh, we could have stories we could tell, I'm sure. But, man, sometimes we're just desperate. And Jesus is the answer. And sometimes we're going out business and looking everywhere else except to him who's able to provide exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We're trying to solve the issue ourselves. And some things you can solve yourself. Sometimes it is just a Band-Aid that needs to be put on the wound. But some things are so serious, so great in scope, that they take something more than human strength or ability. And so this man comes to Jesus with that kind of cry. So the man is persistent. Number five, the man believed. And we know the man believed because Scripture tells us. There's no, we're not conjecturing here. It says that the man took Jesus at his word. 
Now, listen to this. It doesn't say the man believed in Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah. It said he took Jesus at his word. He believed what Jesus said. Again, there's a lesson for every one of us here. When Jesus speaks, when the Word of God speaks, we should take hold of it, take hold of it, and just believe it for what it is. The Bible does not tell us that this man began to rationalize about how his son was going to be made well. There's no record of that. The Bible doesn't record that he began to ask Jesus questions. When, where, who, what? It merely says he believed. And then the sixth thing the man does, it says he just departs. He goes on his way. So Jesus said, go back home, your son, your son will live. And so the man departs. He believes and he departs. There's no, there's no fanfare in this. The Bible didn't say all of a sudden the heavens opened and the uh, heavenly host began to sing, glory to God in the highest. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that friends came running out from the homes nearby and said, oh, man, well, this is great. It doesn't say he hailed a camel. Get me home as quick as possible. It just said he believed and left. Again, there are all kinds of lessons in here for you and me. How often have we persisted in why, how, instead of just receiving the Word of God for what it is and acting on it? I've already said to you that Jesus rebuked the man, but Jesus does some other things uh, too. When When Jesus rebukes the man and the man replies back to Jesus, Jesus responds, and his next response is tender. Please come, my son's about to die. And again, you have to try to figure out what's the tone of Jesus here. Is that, go home! Is that really how you should read that? Go home, your son's going to live, okay? Now get out of my face. And I don't think that's his tone at all. I think it's more of a tender savior. You can go home. Your son will live. And so the man had the assurance of the word of Jesus. And he took that to heart. Now, in Jesus' response, notice also, in the same way that there was no fanfare from the man when the man departed, when Jesus spoke that simple sentence, Again, the heavens do not open. The angels do not sing. The synagogues don't open and the streets fill with people who are just having church. High-fiving and saying this is great. Jesus merely says two things. Go on home. Your son will live. There's no record of him shouting here. No record of him toiling no record of him sweating, no record. Come on, let's think about this. There's no, nothing recorded here about Jesus thinking, man, you know, if your son was here, I might be able to do something, but we're talking, this is like 20 miles you're talking about. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. The time, the space, the distance, all these things that come into play in our mind, Jesus never even thinks about 
go, your son will live 20 miles or so. And open Google Maps if you want. Find Cana. Find Capernaum. Get a satellite image of it. And you see this is not flatland. That to traverse that road, and in those days the roads were not like, not like our roads. If you look it up on Google Maps, they'll say it takes about eight hours. It takes about eight hours to, to navigate that. Walking. Eight hours walking. Now I imagine if this man's going from one place to another 20 miles, he's walking that far, probably pulls over to the side of the road for, for a rest area. He probably uh, wants to eat a little bit somewhere along the way. You know, maybe one of his sandals got a flat and needs to, needs to take care of that. But these things take time. And so how do I know it took time for him to get home? Because remember when his servants met him, they said, your son's healed. He said, what, when, when did that happen? They said, yesterday. Yesterday, about one in the afternoon. I'm going to say at the earliest, it was morning when this servant saw him coming, which means it was well over 12 hours. The re- there's no record of this man running home. There's no record of this man being in a hurry. There's no record. The Bible does not say he grabbed Jesus by the arm and said, you got to come, you got to come, and dragged him back to Capernaum. There's no record of him that says he fretted the entire time. Come on, this is a long and winding road. Plenty of time and opportunity to talk himself out of what Jesus had spoken. Have you ever found yourself there? From the, the, the moment from the time you prayed to the answer, sometimes there's a great period in there where we can get ourselves fretting. We can get ourselves into doubt and unbelief. But there's no record that this man found himself in that position because, again, the Bible said... He believed. He took Jesus at his word. So what the Bible does say is the man believed and he started home. Again, not in a hurry, not in a rush, not saying I've got to get there at all costs before the sun goes down today. It's 1 o'clock now. If I run hard, maybe I can get there by 10 tonight. He didn't arrive till the next day. Why? Because he took Jesus at his word, trusted what he said, and expected to find the very thing that Jesus declared. Your son will live. So how often do we need to remind ourselves that when Jesus speaks into our situation, that what he said is true and we can rely on it? that we need not fret, we need not stay up all night. It might make you feel good to think that, and I say feel good, fretting never makes you feel good, actually. It might make you feel good to think you actually are retaining some kind of control by fretting all night. I think that's, I think that's why we get ourselves in stress and start to fret, because we're just thinking, if I let go, I lose control, and if I lose control, then it's going to all spiral out of control. And the truth is, when we let go... <laughs> We fully surrender the situation to God. We give him the freedom to work. If we hold on to any part of it, we're saying, well, we trust you, but not 100% to do what you said you would do. And so that's where we cultivate and develop our faith. Why? So we can, when we face troubles, trials, difficulties, situations that are way beyond our ability to even address, 
We can bring them to the Lord. We can pass the baton to him. And then we can lay down, put our head on the pillow, and go to sleep in peace. Because what he declared will come to pass. But this is the Christian walk. It's the faith walk, developing trust in him, sufficient to lie down in the midst of trouble and not be concerned about the trouble. I remind you now of the story when the disciples are crossing the sea, Jesus was in the boat with them, a storm arose, and they all panicked. What was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. <laughs> it was no big deal. You know why? Because he already declared, we're going to the other side. And so often as he said to me, David, we're going to the other side, and he goes to sleep, and I'm like, because something happens, and I begin to panic. Ah! Wake up. But as I grow and mature, develop in my Christian walk, that doesn't happen anymore. Or what I won't say anymore. It doesn't happen as often as it once did. I should be able to go to sleep. Lord, I'm handing this off to you, leaving it in your hands that I will sleep peacefully. You will watch over me this night and you will watch over the situation that I've committed to you. I don't know how you're going to accomplish what I need you to accomplish. I don't know how, don't know how you're going to overcome this situation because this is way beyond human ability, but I'm not going to get my mind in that realm of trying to figure it out. You've spoken, I believe, and now I expect to see the result. So when you find yourself in those situations where it's a difficult situation, there is no way out except God's intervention. You know and I, there's no way out without the intervention of God in your situation. Be very careful not to lose heart from the time you prayed and the time he's spoken to the time you see the thing you've requested, your petition. See, when, when you pray, the Bible says that, number one, uh, we can know that God hears us. Number two, it says we know he hears us, we know we have the things we ask of him. So if we know that, and, and there's some time that goes on, there's maybe some silence that goes on from the time I prayed to the time I see it. In that silence, God's working. He heard. He's responded. Now, you may not want the time period that he's assigned to the situation, but there are dark forces in the heavenly realms that are not going to just lay down and let God do what he wants to do. God will win every time, but, but there are these demon forces that will buffet, stop, hinder, do all they can to, to stop the plan and purpose of God. And they can delay, but they won't stop it. Listen, from the time that God told Abraham, you're going to have a, you're going to have a son, many years passed. Many years passed. Many years passed. And he got himself in trouble because as time goes by, from the time that God spoke to the time that it came, he got to see it, it was a long time. And so he thought, well, maybe God doesn't know what he's doing or maybe he needs some help here. So he decided to help God. And that's why we have a lot of crazy on the earth today. That's a whole other lesson you can study out yourself. But there's a lot of crazy because of his inability to wait on what God had already said. Again, I would love to tell you 100% of the time when God speaks, I just wait. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Lord. I want to sit here and relax. 
And I may not find myself there all the time, but I'm telling you right now, that's where God wants us to be. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Oh, okay. Right, we say that so easily. But we've discovered that it's not always easy to cast them and then reel them back in. So be careful not to lose heart on this journey of faith. And then finally, there is this moment when the man's servants meet him. And in the moment, I guess the modern word would be fact-checking. The man fact-checks Jesus in what he said. They said, your son is alive. And he said, when did this happen? Now he's fact-checking. But the Bible doesn't record any thing about the man asking the question, like, oh, that knucklehead, he should have done something like that. It just says he asked, when did this occur? And they respond to him yesterday afternoon at about 1 o'clock. And it says the father realized that was the very time Jesus told him, your son will live. So what's the lesson in here for us? When Jesus speaks, we should respond and expect to see that thing happen. In this situation, he, the man had the word of Jesus, but it wasn't until a full day later that he got to see what Jesus had said. And sometimes for you, it might be 20 minutes. It might be two days. It might be two months. It might be two years. But when he speaks, it's going to happen. Church, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. This man believed Jesus. It's time for you and me to trust Jesus too. When he speaks, we should listen. We should respond. We should obey.